Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest co-host this week on the USC Football Podcast is someone I've known for 25 years. We were roommates for a couple of years at USC and graduated together after enduring the worst four-year span of USC athletics in school history, which is a fact and something I'll expound on later in the show. I'm glad to be joined by one of the fantasy football experts on NFL Fantasy Live on NFL Network and an editor and writer for NFL.com, Marcus Grant. Marcus, happy to have you on the podcast. I'm glad to be here, and you just saying that made me feel old. Like it doesn't—it it takes a lot to make me feel old, but realizing that we literally have been friends for a quarter of a century makes me feel kind of old right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're old. I feel it all the time. Oh. When I play basketball, when I go out <laughs> and see the young kids, when I went to the game on that Friday night against Utah and seeing all the young kids, yeah, I feel it. I feel it. But it's the truth. And we're all about the truth here, as we will get to as we go on. If you enjoy the USC football podcast here on Believe, please subscribe and rate our show. You can find us on all your favorite places to get podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, the website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and on social media at Believe Podcast. My Twitter, where you can send in comments or questions about the show, or just harass me in general. It's Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Marcus, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Marcus G M A R C A S G. You'll occasionally find me frustratingly live tweeting games when I don't just throw up my hands in disgust and go do something else. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even do anything during the game this past week, but we'll get to that. After an inspired win at home against Utah in front of Trojan legends Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart, who were working the game for FS1 and getting back into the top 25, USC went up to Seattle to face the Washington Huskies with its third different starting quarterback of the season, Matt Fink, the hero off the bench versus the Utes. And as they have so often done during Clay Helton's tenure as head coach, the Trojans would return home with a loss. Helton is now 12-16 and 16 away from the friendly confines of the LA Coliseum and a horrendous 1-12 in games as an underdog on the road. All of these losses seem to follow a similar script of penalties and turnovers and poor execution on both sides of the ball. Marcus, at this point, should Trojan fans really be shocked by any of this? Not really. I feel like this year... You know, the last couple of years, really, it has just been such a roller coaster of emotion. But I, I feel like week one, they hang on against Fresno State after JT Daniels is injured. And they, they hang on for a win. And you think, OK, well, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe Keaton Slovis can spark something. They, they get the big win against Stanford. You think, OK, well, maybe there's something here. The head scratching loss against BYU. And then a situation where I think a lot of people, certainly myself, were, were pessimistic about their chances at home against a Utah team at that time ranked in the top 10, they figure out a way to win and you get that little spark of hope. I think after the Utah game, I think a lot of us kind of looked at this and said, you know, that seemed to be an anomaly. And the thought of going up to Seattle and getting a win against a good Washington team on their third quarterback, it just seemed 
really kind of far-fetched. And I think what we saw on Saturday from that team sort of confirmed that. And, and any little hope that maybe the fans had that this team could kind of do something this year, I think that sort of evaporated. And I know that theoretically they could still win the Pac-12 South, but I just really think for the, the, the good of the program, and I, I hate to say this, but really for the good of the program in an effort to try and move on and maybe build something better. I think what we saw is more of a reality and maybe more of kind of what we should be expecting from this team going forward. Yeah, I think that's the unfortunate truth of everything. And I know a lot of the blame may be placed on Matt Fink because he did not play very well. 19 to 32, only 163 yards through three interceptions, did throw for a touchdown, did run for a touchdown. In the end, it wasn't great, but honestly, I don't think any of our quarterbacks would have done well against the defense that Washington was running out there. They kind of borrowed what BYU did, where they dropped back into a zone for most of the game. They had eight back, five in the box, daring USC to run, and USC did a decent job of running over 200 yards, 212 yards total. Carr had some big runs. Malapai looked all right. The redshirt freshman Marquis Step, who everyone is calling on to get more playing time, got in there, did well. But it just seems as though we see this same thing happen over and over again with USC, where they're good enough to suck you in. And we all know that they're a talented team. We got good recruits coming in, but they just don't get it done. In the end, it seems as though teams are figuring out ways, especially when SC goes on the road, to figure out what SC does and keep us from doing it that strategy of defense, I think we're going to see that every game now, the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they have gone full on and bought in full into the air raid. And, and look, considering where this offense had been recently, I understand the change and they really had to do something. But teams have sort of figured out what to do with it, especially because the Trojans don't scare you when it comes to running the football right now. And I think the bigger part of that is what we saw from Graham Harrell's offense the first few weeks, those scripted plays, those 15 to 20 scripted plays at the start of the game, the Trojans looked great. They moved the ball, they scored points. I believe this was the first week they did not score on their opening possession. And the one thing I think we've all realized is that after those scripted plays are over, then this offense sort of struggles. It falls apart. It doesn't have that consistency. So if you're Washington and you weathered that storm, right, and the Trojans didn't score in their first possession, you had to feel even better about what your game plan was the rest of the way because you know that SC hadn't been able to put anything together. So I do think everybody's going to start to look at what happened with what BYU did, what the Huskies did. I'm sure we'll kind of maybe get to this a little bit later, but now they got to go on the road to South Bend in a couple of weeks. I mean, they, they get the week off, which is sort of nice, but they go to South Bend in two weeks to face a very good Notre Dame football team there. And I just can't imagine that on your third quarterback with an offense that's still trying to find itself consistently that you can expect a whole lot more uh, great production from them. Exactly. And then when you flip it to the other side, the defense played okay, especially considering they were put in some bad situations by the offense committing turnovers. But it seems and again, another running theme, the USC defense is just good enough to keep us in it. But in the end, they don't make enough plays on their own to get us a win. So if the offense struggles, the defense will keep us in the game, but we still end up losing. And I mean, we did get the one fumble recovery where Chris Peterson tried to go into the bag of tricks, even though there was no reason to. He was beating us and he just decided he wanted to run a reverse. So Hunter Bryant tries to pitch the ball and he's getting tackled and we fall on it, get that fumble. And of course, it didn't lead to anything. But 
but it still seems like the defense can't generate enough takeaways. They can't make the critical stops or like even when we had them backed up after a Fink interception, it was deep in their territory. And yeah, sure, momentum swing, but we had them backed up. And if the defense can do something, we're going to get the ball back in good field position. Nope. Let's let Savon Ahmed bust it out for a 89 yard touchdown run. Again, it's just this running theme of all the same stuff happens over and over again. And one of the other things, penalties. Eight penalties for 80 yards. A couple of those false starts on Drew Richmond. You see that. You see a ridiculous unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. And I'm the first one to do it. I'll rip on Pac-12 refs all the time. They're the worst refs in the Power Five conferences. I don't think that's even a debate. But we still know the rules. I mean, yes. Is it dumb that Matt Fink gets a penalty for spiking a football after a touchdown? Yes, it's dumb. But unfortunately, that's the dumb rule. And is it stupid for Talanoa Hufanga, who's hurt and not even playing, but just wearing his uniform over his hoodie, comes out and celebrates that fumble recovery with a chest bump and lands a yard and a half on the field? Is it stupid for the refs to call that penalty? Yeah, but technically it's against the rules and we just get these stupid penalties all the time. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And the thing about it is it's not new. I mean, it, it even precedes Clay Helton as head coach. That This yes. has been a program that has been sort of marked by just being undisciplined from the small little frustrating pre-snap administrative penalties, if you will, the false starts, the illegal formation, stuff like that, to just the really bad, undisciplined personal fouls and that sort of thing. I mean, this has been a constant over a long period of time. I mean, I would even dare say it even goes back to Pete Carroll's teams. The difference is those Pete Carroll teams had so much talent that they could overcome those sorts of things. But now when the playing field has been even and the Trojans maybe are not, they're certainly not as well coached and the, the talent gap arguably is a lot narrower than it was, then these things start to show up and they become uh, a little bit more, they become more crucial in these games. And we have seen that over the years. And so now you've got a situation where, as we mentioned, you're on your third quarterback. Your team maybe isn't as deep as it has been in the past. Certainly the coaching uh, advantage is not in your favor right now. So all these little things add up. And, and you know, you talked about the defense being put in bad situations. That's where these hidden yards come in, right? You give up penalties that either back you up and force you to punt from bad situations or they move the other team ahead, either putting them in scoring position or if they're punting, they're at least punting to pin you deep in your own territory. It's these little things here that start to add up and you can kind of pinpoint where some of these things are, are coming from and how the Trojans end up in the situations they're in. Yeah, again, it's one of those things that gets pinned on Clay Helton. And so that's a perfect transition into this week's results of the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll from Twitter. Every week, I run the poll to find out what USC fans are thinking about where Clay Helton lies on the hot seat, because we know it's a hot seat. But how hot is it? I used four chili peppers to determine the hotness of his hot seat. And again, the hottest of them all, the Carolina Reaper, 2.2 million Scovo heat units, followed by the ghost pepper at a little over a million Habanero clocking in at 350,000 SHU. And at the bottom, it's Cayenne at 50,000 Scoville Heat units. And the winner this week of the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll, not really a surprise. 39% of the vote going to the Carolina Reaper, 34% to the Ghost Pepper, 
Habanero had 15% and Cayenne at 11%. So again, Marcus, it's not quite surprising that after a bad loss like that, the fans vote once again for the hottest pepper as where Clay Helton stands. So every week we've seen it rotate between Carolina Reaper and Ghost Pepper. But obviously, everyone basically feels that the Clay Helton seat is very, very spicy. Yeah, it was pretty hot to start the season, and it's probably only gotten hotter. I, I take that back. I mean, it probably, I would guess it probably came down after the Stanford win, probably came down a little bit after the Utah win. But I think this is sort of a cumulative effect, right? And I think it's a, a situation where you especially look at this. We just installed Carol Folt as the new university president. We know that there's going to be a new athletic director coming in the very near future. And Regardless of the fact that Clay Helton is a good man, he's a good guy, and, and he seems to be a nice person, yeah, that only goes so far at a school that is used to winning football games and really feels like it should be competing for national championships. And I think there's you cannot make an argument that you can look at Clay Helton and argue that he is the guy to lead the Trojans back to another glory period, like what they saw, you know, in the early 2000s under, or late 2000s, I guess, under Pete Carroll. It, it just isn't here. And so I think after watching this program sort of flounder for the last couple of years, I would say that it would take a near miracle, you know, if somehow the Trojans ran the table, if somehow through a, a series of unfortunate events across the country, that they somehow found themselves in the playoff, which seems nigh impossible, that might be the only thing that would save him. Other than that, I, I think we'll be talking about a new head coach, if not this time next year, maybe even sooner. Yes, and we will be getting to that in just a little bit. That's called a tease for everyone out there. But first, let's go over the predictions since there's no predictions portion for this weekend. Sorry, Marcus, since the game's two weeks away. Obviously, we're not going to do predictions for Notre Dame. Maybe I got to bring you back for a show down the line so you can actually make predictions and see if you can embarrass yourself as badly as I do on a weekly basis. <laughs> but to recap the predictions I made last week, along with Matthew Lowry, the editor of Conquest Chronicles, the SB Nation website for USC, the players that we believed in last week, I took Drake Jackson with five tackles, three solo, and no penalties, which is big for him. Matthew took Talanoa Hufanga, and that's because we recorded the show on Monday, just like we are doing here tonight. And so it was early in the week before he was ruled out of the game. So just by default, I win. But even then, Hufanga, despite not playing, still hurt USC with that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on the sideline. So I really win on the players that we believed in. In the game score, we both did not believe in USC to win. We both took Washington. I had it 27-17. He had it 38-20. And so I'm claiming the win on that one. I think my score was closer to the 28-14 final score. So Matthew's not here to defend himself. So I'm just going to claim that win. And then in our prop bet picks, Nara's no doubter was that the USC defense would have four sacks. We only had two. And Matthew, he had his Matthew's money mayhem where he said Jacob Eason would throw for three touchdown passes. And he actually had none somehow. And we still lose the game. But neither of us get the win there on our prop bet positions. So I still claim a 2-0 win over Matthew on the week in our predictions. But again, we were both hoping to be wrong with USC losing. And unfortunately, we were not. So before we get into a discussion about the state of the USC program and where it goes from here during this bye week, 
I thought it'd be a good idea to have a quick discussion on what happened today, a momentous occurrence here in the state of California, where California Senate Bill 206, otherwise known as the Fair Pay to Play Act, was signed into law by California Governor Gavin Newsom. And he did it in a I don't know if you want to call it the way of the world today, but he went on the shop, LeBron James's show with Maverick Carter and signed it on there. A very untraditional way for a bill to be signed into law. But quickly, that bill basically allows college athletes in California to hire agents and earn money from their name, image, and likeness. It is set to take effect on January 1st, 2023. Both the NCAA and the Pac-12 have already made it clear that they are against it. So quickly, what are your thoughts on the ramifications for this bill? And is it a catalyst for change? Well, first off, kudos to LeBron for getting this scoop, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess this is the reason he came inside with the Lakers, so he could become a big media mogul and influence policy like this. Who knew? Yeah, I do think this is a good thing. I think this is a good thing. I think that like anybody who watches college sports and has watched college sports for a long time, I think it's it's hard to deny the fact that the NC2A is an outdated institution at best and at worst has just become completely corrupted and has sort of perverted the idea of amateurism in sports. So, you know, I think this is a, a big step in the right direction. And here's the thing. It still is going to be a couple of years before this takes effect. So this is sort of given the NC2A a couple of years to sort of get their ducks in a row, whether they decide to sort of change the nature of amateurism, whether they decide they want to try to fight this thing tooth and nail. But I think it is the beginning of a potential landslide, right? Because if this happens in California, where it is it is on the way to, let's look around the country, right? Alabama is not going to want to be left out to potentially have to lose recruits to California schools. The state of Texas, the state of Ohio, you can keep going, the state of Florida, you know, so all these other states now are in a position where they may start having to draft similar legislation. And if that becomes the case and you're the NCAA, the last thing you're going to want to do is have to try and fight these things piecemeal, knowing that every bill in every state is not going to look exactly the same. So I think this is the potential of really sort of changing the dynamic here and i think it's long overdue i'm i'm in, in favor of athletes being able to kind of profit off their likeness i know you know nar you and i were we were scholarship students not necessarily on athletic scholarships but we still had the opportunity to take the thing that we were on scholarship for you know for us it was being journalism students and sort of use those skills to go out and profit in the real world and i think for the athletes who generate such huge revenue i mean look nobody came to watch me answer phones when i was a work study student in the journalism department right so i think for these guys and ladies who are bringing in large revenue to their universities i think the opportunity to go out and sort of early portion of that uh, I think is worthwhile. And I think what California has done starts to kind of propel us down that road. So ultimately, I think uh, at least a portion of fairness for these athletes. Yes. And you know me, you know my feelings about the NCAA, about how hypocritical it is. And it is basically the worst organization in American sports. I liken it. It's the FIFA for American sports. It's hypocritical. It's corrupt. It's garbage. That's how I feel about the NCAA in general. So the fact that they're against this means that this is probably a good idea. And here's the thing. I am all for this because it doesn't affect what the schools actually have to put in. Because I'm not one of those people, like a lot of people like, oh, the school should give the athletes money and pay them more. I'm against that. 
The fact that they're getting scholarship, room and board, free in health insurance, essentially, and all the other stuff that comes with being a scholarship athlete, I think that is plenty from the school side of things. But this is allowing an athlete to go out and make money on their own using their name, image, and likeness. Things that should be their personal property, not a school's property. So I have no problem with something like this. The schools are not giving any money. The NCAA is not giving any money. If Matt Fink, off of that win against Utah, can go out and earn some money signing autographs or getting a little sponsorship deal to promote Felix Chevrolet across the street from USC, like... I don't see the problem with that. And yes, obviously, I think there have to be some kind of guidelines put in place where you can only earn a certain amount to stay eligible. Because I think obviously, if there's going to be some kind of ridiculous $100,000 offer to someone, you can say that, hey, maybe that's not really meant to be commensurate with what they're actually doing. But if someone can make a little money on the side, because like you said, we were allowed to go out and get jobs on our own, even though we were on scholarship at USC, these guys can't do that. These guys and girls can't do that. And so it's a step in the right direction. And like you said, there are other states working on their own bills. Hopefully at some point, the U.S. Congress can maybe get involved and do something that would cover everything on a national basis. Obviously, right now, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on, which we're not going to talk about because we don't have time for that on this show. But yes, I think it's a step in the right direction and hopefully something that we can get the NCAA and these conferences on board with. Because again, it's not money out of their pockets. And for everyone who thinks that, oh, it's going to give an advantage to all of these schools. Well, all these schools already have the advantage. You don't think USC and Alabama and Clemson and all these schools that already get the good recruits. You don't think that if this was put in, that they're still not going to get good recruits, that all of a sudden North Texas is going to get a ton of recruits because they have some people who can give some money to some of their athletes as sponsorship deals. Like, come on, let's be honest here. So, yeah, just wanted to touch on that really quickly. And again, a big deal. Gavin Newsom signing into law, California Senate Bill 206, Fair Pay to Play Act. And we will see going forward how that affects everything. And of course, I am Nara Wang, joined this week by my guest, Marcus Grant of the NFL Network and NFL.com, fantasy football expert. If you're enjoying our show here, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on all your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. And on social media at Believe Podcast. On Twitter, you can find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N A R A W E N G Sports. And Marcus, tell them where they can find you. On Twitter at Marcus G, M A R C A S G. And for those of you who are fantasy football players and fans, Marcus, great follow when it comes to that. Now, let us go into the state of the USC football program and i'm going to treat this as kind of like a state of the union we're here i've got marcus to be what would normally be the opposition rebuttal after i finish my remarks although in this case i don't think it's be much of a rebuttal i think we're going to agree on more things than not but let me begin here my state of the usc football program My fellow Trojan alumni, fans, and faithful, we find ourselves at a crossroads with our football program. It is clear that Clay Helton is a good man, 
who is well-liked by his players and has done a lot to clean up the issues that led USC into the depths of scandal and NCAA penalties. However, it is also clear that Clay Helton is not the man who can lead the program back to the top of the college football heap to compete with an Alabama or a Clemson. This is reminiscent of my and Marcus's time at USC, where we went through the worst four-year span of USC athletics ever. From the fall of 1994 through the spring of 1998, USC did not defeat UCLA in football and men's basketball. That's right. The only four-year graduating class to not win at least one game in those two high-profile sports. USC only won two national titles in that time, women's swimming and diving in 1997 and baseball in 1998. Now, it wasn't the worst four years of USC football because in our first two years, we had Keyshawn Johnson and we won the Cotton Bowl and Rose Bowl. But the last two years, John Robinson's second tenure as USC coach mirrored in many ways what is happening now. And despite defeating Notre Dame twice to snap the long winless streak against the Irish, he was let go after the 1997 season. Things got worse before they got better, of course, as Paul Hackett was brought in and he failed to restore luster to Troy in his three seasons as coach. Then the savior, Pete Carroll, came in, took the Trojans back to national titles and has left a legacy that has fairly or unfairly burdened every coach that has followed him. So as we stand here in 2019, three and two at the bye week, Notre Dame next on the schedule, it is clear to me that USC needs a fresh start. It begins with hiring an outsider as the athletic director who can then bring in a new coach at the end of this season. Because while we all know this team is talented enough to run the table and possibly save Clay Helton's job, the truth is that there is no chance, based on what we've seen during his tenure, that it will happen. Marcus, the floor is yours. Well, I'd like to begin by saying my colleague makes some excellent points about the state of the Trojan program, that what was once a proud and uh, successful program has fallen upon hard times. I also agree with him that at this point, we have all learned that Clay Helton is not the man who is going to lead us back. And while we all appreciate the closeness and the pride of the Trojan family, that maybe it's time for us to look outside our doors and outside our beautiful campus to find someone who can be the person to lead the way. That it begins not just on the sidelines of the football field, but it begins in the halls of Heritage Hall. That it begins from the office of the athletic director, someone who will help not only be build a program that is successful, but one that is free from scandal, one that can be a shining light, not just in the athletic department, but at the university as, as a whole. In fact, it may even be something to say that the duty goes even further than that, and it goes to the office of the president, where Carol Folt, who just took over, is now in charge of trying to rebuild not just the success on the field, but rebuild the trust that the fans once had in this program and one that has been lost over the years. And so as we look to the future, I think it is time for us to understand that while kind of remaining in that Trojan family is something that would be the ideal, that every now and then it does take the vision of an outsider to see what is wrong and to be able to spot the faults for what they are and try to change them and better them. And that is, I think, what the task of the not only the university, but the athletic department and the football program face as we head into the next decade. Very well said, Marcus. And before I let you go, I know we're not going to make predictions, but what do you think about 
not just Notre Dame coming up, but the rest of the season. What is the outlook for USC for the rest of this season? Well, I mean, I, I am very pessimistic about what is to come at Notre Dame. Just that's a good football team that went on the road and, and lost a really tough game against a good Georgia squad. So I, I don't have high hopes. I mean, look, you and I lived through that 1995 game where Mark Edwards ran over us for four touchdowns in a snowy day there in South Bend. So I, I hope it's not that bad, but I'm not optimistic. You know, crazily enough, this team can still compete for the Pac-12 South. There really isn't anyone in our division that has asserted themselves so far this year. And this, I think this wide receiver core is good enough in this air raid offense to sort of keep them in games. And as long as the defense isn't completely getting run over, I don't see a lot of situations where they get blown out. I mean, that Oregon game potentially could be difficult. Going to Tempe in mid-November could potentially be a difficult situation. But I imagine they're going to be in games. I just don't know if they're good enough to win a lot of them. And so it could be a year where they sort of give us false hope and, and keep us on the edge of our seats week to week. But I think in the end, ultimately, we're going to be disappointed and frustrated. And I think when we talk again at the end of the year, we'll probably be talking again about a coaching search and wondering where our future lies, whether it's Urban Meyer, dare we say, or if it's somebody else that uh, is trying to rebuild this Trojan program. Yes. And I predicted that we would be three and three after Notre Dame because we all knew what a tough six game stretch it was to begin the season. So if we lose to Notre Dame, we're going to be exactly where I figured we would be. And I again, I do think we are going to go and lose a game on the road there. But those are the games we get up for. So who the heck knows? And just an inside for every one of our buddies who might be listening to us, the classic my hands are so cold game in 1995. <laughs> yes. Just had to, um, to throw that out there for all our friends who may be listening. They will get that joke. That was a miserable day. Miserable. <laughs> but yeah, looking at the schedule going the rest of the way, again, this is the problem with USC under Clay Helton. You could win any game. You could lose any game. But when you look at that schedule after Notre Dame, we're home against Arizona, back on the road for another Friday night game at Boulder against Colorado, home against Oregon, two road games against ASU and Cal, and then finishing off with the rivalry game at home against UCLA. And you look at all those games and you're like, yeah, USC could win any of those games, but USC could lose any of those games. So in reality, what are we going to do? We're probably going to end up splitting the difference. We're probably going to win seven games, go seven and five. And it's just not going to get the job done. And we will have a new coach next season. We will have a new athletic director whenever that search gets done. You never know how long those things take. I would not expect a athletic director to be hired before the end of football season. That does not preclude that if we go into a bad losing streak, that Clay Helton would just not get fired anyway. And there would be an interim coach to take us the rest of the way. I think things would have to get really dire for that to happen. And I don't think it will get that dire. I think he's going to be able to coach out the string, as it were. And we will be dealing with this, like you said, at the end of the season. So we shall see. It's a muddled road ahead for the USC Trojans. And listen, the players like Clay Helton. They want to win for him. It's not that the players aren't playing for him or they've quit on him. That's not the case. USC plays hard. We just don't necessarily play very smart. And we don't necessarily do things that benefit us. We don't necessarily make adjustments during games that can benefit us. We let other teams out scheme us and we don't seem to fix the issues 
that are wrong with our schemes. And when it comes down to it, that's coaching. So again, if you enjoyed listening to us here on the Believe in USC football podcast, please subscribe and rate our show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, wherever you can find your favorite podcast. We are there. On the website, it's believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. You can subscribe there as well. You'll find us on social media at Believe Podcasts. Personally, find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Marcus, uh, let you give him your uh, Twitter and any final words. Yeah, Marcus G-M-A-R-C-A-S-G. I guess some shameless self-promotion of my own. You can check out our fantasy football podcast, the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. We're out twice a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and then NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network. I'd say 6 p.m. Eastern, but I'd imagine we mostly have a West Coast audience. So uh, 3 p.m. on the West Coast, uh, Monday through Friday on NFL Network, where I jibber-jabber about fake football. So uh, if you are so inclined, check it out. Plug away, my man. Plug away. That's what we're here for. I'm glad you were able to join the show this week. It's always good talking to you. And so for my special guest, Marcus Grant, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for Episode 6 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And while the belief may waver in the state of USC's football program at this moment, remember that I always end every show with a hearty fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.